It would be a trope if there wasn't so much truth in it. Become an AP and spend countless hours doing discipline. It's hard to support and grow your teachers if you're handling discipline all day. But what if we could change this narrative? What if we could invest some front-end time in order to spend less time doing discipline and flip the script so that doing discipline actually means helping kids? Today's guest is going to help us learn how to do just that. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Today I'm joined by Sean Olson, who was born and raised in Southern New Jersey. He holds an undergraduate degree in secondary education and mathematics and a master's degree in educational leadership curriculum and instruction. Sean is a husband, father, educator, coach, and is always excited to learn and share new things. Currently, he's the assistant principal at Cedar Creek High School in Egg Harbor City, New Jersey, which is part of the Greater Egg Harbor Regional High School District. Sean has been in education since February 2010. Hello, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frederick. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And we always like to begin with celebration. So tell me, what are you celebrating today? So today we are celebrating our first full week of school starting off. So we did come back last week. Um, as I kind of talked to before, you know, we're we're excitedly celebrating some routines starting to settle in, um, getting back to, you know, what, what we're used to with a full week of school and a normal schedule. So that's what we're celebrating. You know, we have a lot of things that went really well that first week of school. We ended with a pep rally last week. So we're, we're riding high on that momentum and uh, we're getting after it. One of the things I love about being an educator is the times that we get to kind of start over. So you always get that freshness in the fall and that sense of beginning again, and you have the hope and kind of this world of possibility. And it sounds like you guys are off to a great start. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a message. Even our, you know, our principal made point to say in our back to school assemblies was, Hey, we're all, we're all here and it's all a fresh start for everybody. Um, me included being somewhat new back to the building too. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Cause you're in a new building this year. Correct. So I was, um, we're part of a three high school district here in the Greater Egg Harbor Regional High School District. Um, I'm coming over to this school now, Cedar Creek High School, where I was previously, but, you know, it's been a little, little while since I was here. So not totally new, but definitely a, a fresh start again. Sean, is there a story that would help listeners understand why you're doing what you do? Absolutely. I mean, um, coming into administration, you know, I was 
a little little unsure of what I was getting into. You know, I was fortunate in, you know, some of my timing and some of my previous experiences. But, you know, coming into a role of, you know, primarily being a disciplinarian, there's a lot of uneasy feelings, you know, um, some some anxiety and nervousness that comes along with that, you know, in the back of my mind about is that something I want to do every day is deal with discipline issues. So um, the story I would want to share is you make it what you want, right? So that that role can be can impact a person many different ways, but ultimately it's how you want to write your story and how you want to make it. Um, so I really hope that, you know, with us talking, that there's some things that I share that, you know, has shown that it doesn't have to be a negative connotation. It doesn't have to be a job that beats you down. Um, you know, there are positives. There's so many, so much good in the work that we do. Um, so yeah, that's the story I want to share that four years into it. I love what I do. Don't give up. And like I said, make it your own, man. Be you. So I'm happy. I'm happy to share that story and get more into it with you as we talk. All right. Now I'm really super excited. I was looking forward to this anyway, but now you've got me going. I love your outlook. And I think we may already five minutes into this have the title of the show, which I think is you make it what you want. So it's what a powerful idea. And thank you for sharing that. So we're going to journey into discipline today. And I love where we're going because we're beginning, I think, with the quantitative aspect of discipline, looking at those numbers, but then we're using those numbers to help us move into that more qualitative side of understanding what's happening with individuals. Um, Just to let you know, like kind of where the mindset was, was like, I want to start with something everybody can do when you step in the door to help you. So that was where, that's where my train of thought was. Yeah, no, I'm excited about that. I think it's a great way to go. You know, I think about discipline issues as being icebergs. Some people think about it as volcanoes because you see the explosion, but I think about it as icebergs. And, and usually when there's an event, what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. And if that's all we ever do, then we never get to all that stuff that's at the bottom. And I, I think about there's always something that precedes a safety issue, a, a discipline event. And it's usually not what we think it is. It's usually not the obvious thing of, you know, conflict with teacher or whatever. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. And, and so that process of understanding what be, what came before and, and then how we manage it at the time. And then I think the real work happens afterwards, right? And I think you're going to take us through some of that. So let's begin with the way you initially approach discipline as a new assistant principal, and then the personal journey that took you to the approach that you're using today? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off with just kind of piggybacking off of the, the iceberg analogy that you use. So, you know, that's that's a really difficult thing to realize in the heat of the moment when, you know, tensions are running high, there's a lot of emotion involved, is when the student is either in crisis or, you know, just making poor choices, right, to realize that there's maybe an underlying thing going on that has been a buildup to that tip of the iceberg idea. So, right. So that's something that's really difficult to do to manage in the moment. So we spend a lot of time talking about that, right. Not taking it personal, trying to remove the emotion of the, of the situation, take yourself, take a step, take a step back, let's get it under control. And then we'll revisit it with a clear mind, a clear head um, and try to really focus in on the bottom of that. So of that iceberg. So if I kind of start with like the journey, right. Um, for me, uh, and I, I know you're a previous coach as well. So 
I got into education with the mindset of, you know, I, I want to coach, right? So I was an athlete. I played sports my entire life, all through college. Um, you know, my mindset was I want to impact youth. I want to coach. I want to coach at the collegiate level. Who knows? Where am I going to go? So let's start off with let's teach. I'll coach at the high school level. Absolutely fell in love with the teaching part because of how much it related to coaching. It, it's amazing the the different things that you see between coaching athletes on the field and trying to teach youth in the classroom with how you relate to them, how you, you know, adjust your game plan to help each child um, improve in whatever content that you may teaching them. So that that really snowballed for me as far as the disciplinarian role goes. But, you know, I know how important from a team aspect, the culture and climate was and buying into expectations and goals. Um, the same thing goes for the building and the discipline, right? So that's the mindset that I brought in, in having my previous experience as a coach and bringing a team together to play for each other, not play for the name on the back, play for the name on the front. That's the same message we're trying to deliver here in saying that, you know, this is, this is our school. We're going to, we're going to set this temperature to how we want it, right? We're, we're that thermostat in the room. Um, we're not going to let it control us. So we set those expectations um, clearly, build the culture and climate around what we want the experience to be for us as staff, for them as students. Um, and that's really our guiding focus. So as far as like stepping into the role, I was really fortunate, really fortunate that our district has almost like a hybrid position. Um, we call them student coordinators. So the student coordinator role here is a teacher that has a partial teaching schedule, and then spends the rest of their time as an administrative assistant handling low-level discipline referrals. Um, so I was fortunate to, to get that role and be able to, you know, not totally leave the classroom, but also see the other side of it. And I, I don't know many schools that offer that opportunity. It kind of seems like either one or the other. And it's been beneficial in so many ways. So that, that really helped gauge my mind in, you know, getting a feel for what I wanted to do with my future. And when I, I felt like I hit my stride kind of as a teacher a little bit, was feeling really confident, ultimately decided, you know what, if I can have a greater impact across more students, let's go for it. Let's give it a try. So that stepping into that student coordinator role kind of solidified it for me as far as where I wanted to go with this journey. And we're, and we're still going down that road. So I, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, if you would have asked me while I was first teaching and first coaching, if I saw myself here, I would have said you're crazy. But again, I want to change it for the world. Thanks for sharing that. Let's go ahead and start diving into the process. And again, I think one of the things that you and I had talked about previously is how you use data, the quantitative data to kind of inform your focus. So do you want to start taking us through that? Sorry, I can't turn that off. Yeah, no, I love it. So people probably didn't pick it up on mic, but you're, in a, you're a real assistant principal in a real <laughs> school and, you know, it's quarter yeah. to three and the loudspeaker comes on. So we appreciate it. All right. So if I, if I start talking about data, right, um, coming into the role, it was kind of expressed to me, you know, I'm asking questions, right? So typical interview question is, do you have any questions for us? I said, no, but I'll probably have plenty of questions for you if I'm your guy. Um, so as we move forward in that process, my first question is, okay, so if we're going to do this, what, what are needs for improvements? What would you be looking for out of the person coming in? What would, what would be, you know, the things that you would want addressed, what things could be maintained, but where, where are we looking to improve? 
the basic mindset and response that I got back was looking at referral rates, trying to bring down the number of referrals, looking at the amount of lost seat time due to suspensions, in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension. And at the same time, while looking at that data, implementing a less punitive code of conduct and finding the best way to roll that out with staff, students, and obviously tracking the implementation and effectiveness of that. So new AP, right? Just coming in the door, I tell everybody that's getting into it, right? You know, it's gonna feel like you're trying to drink from a fire hose. So you get what you can and you keep moving forward. The first thing that came to my mind was, and I'm previous math teacher, so my mind goes right to the numbers, is I'm gonna track some data. So if a problem is going to be presented to me, I want to fully understand it so I can know and be effective in my reflection and the tracking if what we're doing is working or not. So, you know, Frederick, our conversation and in discussing, you know, the purpose of this podcast and trying to help and provide perspective to new APs. This is something I was able to do without asking permission, right? I didn't have to go to my principal. I didn't have to seek out the superintendent. I wasn't trying to implement a new initiative. I was just diving into data and no one had to, I didn't have to ask somebody if I could do that. So I tracked it back. Obviously, you know, we're putting an asterisk on the COVID years, but I went back about six years to kind of see where this perceived problem was coming from and what the numbers actually showed. So on, I just, can I jump in please for just a second? Cause you've just right off the bat, we've got some really powerful ideas. So you said, I want to understand where the problem is. Right. And this just so, so critical. And that's really the difference between being an urgent leader and a strategic leader, because urgent leader is just going to be, Oh, we got these referrals. We have to deal with these referrals. And they just keep coming because we never saw solve the problem, but you're, really taking that pause and taking the kind of action that is progress because you're getting information. So now you can figure out what that root problem is. And I just, you know, that's so powerful. And the idea that you don't have to ask permission to look at the data. I don't, I don't know that anybody in school district would ever get in trouble for looking at the data. Yeah. So that was super helpful for me. Cause then, you know, I went down the rabbit hole, obviously when you start doing that, but just the way that it played out really gave me perspective and insight to say, oh, okay, I see where that's coming from now. Or, okay, yeah, there's something that can be done there. So, um, yeah, the, the the spreadsheet grew and grew and grew. And eventually I felt confident enough to say, okay, I think I have a set goal here, at least a good understanding of our top three needs to start at least tracking and implementing that that those new systems. Can you talk about some of the different patterns that popped up as you dug into the data? I think I think it would be really good for people listening to just hear how the data can actually tell stories to us. Absolutely. And I think um, I should probably ask how long these podcasts usually are because you're going to go send me down the data rabbit <laughs> hole again. But uh, you just stop me. All right. So if I look at my spreadsheet, 100%, it's like a image of how my brain works. So I'm going to try to at least explain that through the podcast. So I started with this, the total number of referrals, obviously. So I'm starting by tracking those. And then from my mind there, I lead into tracking, okay, now I see the amount of referrals per year. 
how many of those actually played out to be incidents that involved out-of-school suspension. So now I've got those numbers. All right, so now my mind's thinking, okay, I can see how those numbers are playing, see what the ratios are, but how does that number of OSS incidents show for the amount of days that were actually assigned per those incidents? So now I'm starting to think, okay, so if I have those incidents, what, how egregious were those incidents, right? Are we talking one day out, two days out, or are we going up to nine, seven, things like that? So that's where my mind then went next was, okay, let's track the number of days as well. So I'm starting to paint a picture here, right? I'm seeing where the numbers are going. So then my mind goes to, okay, I need to know who it is now, right? I need to know who the kids are. Numbers are numbers, but I need to put some names up there. I need to get some some information on gender, ethnicity, grades, those sort of things. So I can start understanding, you know, exactly who is accounting for the numbers, right? So now I'm starting to paint a picture of the student. So now I go off to the right of the spreadsheet, start crunching that data, um, trying to see exactly who's accounting for the most. And, you know, what stood out to me most and what I shared with, you know, our building administration is it actually played out that two and a half percent of the population accounted for nearly 50 percent of the out of school suspension days. Right. So that's like that that typical mindset that 15 or 20 kids, if they weren't here, all of a sudden this would be the greatest place. All right. So now I'm hyper focused. Right. So I've, I've gone down from this like you said, just a number of referrals and how are we going to get down this number of referrals? So now I feel like I can manage this, this goal because I'm looking at two and a half percent of the population. Like, okay, I got this. I, I can, I can do something with this manageable amount of, of students versus looking at this whole picture of overwhelming amount of referrals. Right. Sean, I, I want to point out too. So, so from a mindset perspective, a lot of times we we get overwhelmed in a school, we see all the discipline problems and we think we have to fix it. And so we want to do PBIS or some big mm. thing to drive into fix it. But you took the other approach, which is you just want to make progress. Like, let's just make this a little bit better. So let's use this data, help us understand where we can maybe make the biggest impact and the biggest change. And what kids are going to need it the most. And so now you've taken something that could seem kind of unmanageable and huge, and you've narrowed it down to, you know, a few kids that you can actually work with. And I had to do that selfishly because like I said, if, if I want to set a goal, I want to feel like it's manageable and attainable and looking at a number of referrals and coming up, like you said, with a, a PBIS or this initiative where I'm a new AP, it's like, yeah. And that's something I have to go get permission for. I don't have to get permission for, you know, to go address and try to get to know 25 kids and try to figure out what's going on. So again, I, I was looking for ways that I could get involved in ways that my team could go without having to say, oh, you need to get board of ed approval. How are you going to pay for that initiative? How You know, all the hurdles that sometimes you're faced with in doing those large scale things. So that's kind of where I went. I wanted to feel like I had control and I it was something that was manageable. So that was big. I, I was kind of, like I said, happy because it was just almost like just throwing information at the wall and seeing where it sticked. And when I saw it all starting to come together, that's kind of where the plan started to develop. So next step, do you start to make contact with those kids? 
So before that even happened was before I wanted to start touching base with, base with kids and coming up with new initiatives, we kind of felt it was really important to, you know, clean up our own house first, right? Manage our own systems and our own information to make sure that our stuff was buttoned up before we start addressing problems that weren't ours, not that weren't done by us, right? So I was fortunate, super fortunate. And this is kind of where, you know, being in this district and all the initiatives that were were coming about when I stepped in, that it was almost aligned to making this happen. So for example, and I'll give you some of the things that helped us clean up referral rates, suspension rates. We eliminated escalations, right? So an escalation would be a student is late to school so many times per our code of conduct. They hit that marker. Now they got a lunch detention. Student misses that lunch detention. Okay. You were warned. You missed your lunch detention. We're now going to escalate that to an after school detention. New referral new discipline code of conduct or a new discipline consequence. Okay, here comes their after school detention date. They miss it, we follow up. My younger siblings get off the bus. I gotta be home. I'll never be able to serve an, an after school detention. Okay, new referral, new discipline consequence. Now you have in-school suspension. Students now in in-school suspension. Students going through the day and listen, I don't, I don't know many people, let alone children, that could sit in the same room all day long with very little social interactions and be okay. Um, I'll just leave it at that. So in my example, I'm using right, students in there, they're going through the day, they've had enough, they're not abiding by the rules, they don't make it through the entire day. Now they failed to serve their in-school suspension. Okay, new referral. Student is now out of school suspended. Student goes for out of school suspension, returns back to school. We're on our way. Now, we start cleaning up our own house and we look at that and say, that student was late to school this many times, ended up with six referrals, five referrals. I don't know, I stopped counting and ended up in out of school suspension. So, there's a lot to take away from that, right? The amount of referrals that went in for that one incident, does the punishment even fit the crime for what we're trying to address? So the removal of escalations was an automatic slight reduction in referrals, slight reduction in out of school. And we didn't just turn a blind eye to students missing a lunch detention, right? You still have to have an, a response. So we implemented new strategies. So we've got, um, we, we fell and used, relied on social restrictions. So clubs, activities, athletics, pep rallies, you know, social gatherings to say like, you have unserved discipline that you owe us. So we're gonna take some away some of the social aspects until you're able to make good on your part. Um, but also, you know, if student continues to get referrals, then we'll combine them and we'll be progressive in our in our actions anyway. So if they end up getting to where we were with, you know, after schools, in schools, whatever it might be, it's not because they didn't, they didn't serve at lunch attention. It's because they continued to get referrals. So they still get there if, you know, if they aren't doing what they need to do. But it's not 
it's not because of, like I said, you, we're not seeing a late to school student end up being suspended because they weren't making good on their discipline. Right. So, and, and I imagine, Sean, that teachers didn't, they might be aware of that, but they didn't see a lot of that. So one of the first changes you're making doesn't actually have a huge impact on teachers. For sure. Yeah. And that was, that was more within the main office hub, right. Within the discipline team. Um, you know, one impact that we did start seeing with some staff was we revamped the ISS. So I kind of talked about that previously um, in that last example, you know, the, the, the archaic structure of what in-school suspension is and expectations in there. So again, taking that mindset, we've gone to a new in-school suspension um, procedures so we don't do full days anymore. We do partial sessions. So within, you know, a six, six block day, we'll do a, a morning session where a student could be signed for the first three blocks of the day. Then they go about their remainder of the afternoon or they get assigned a PM session where they go, you know, through their morning classes and then have that ISS in the afternoon. So we're not asking as much. We're still, you know, imposing consequences. We're seeing less of the failure to obey ISS. Um that would have been escalated to out-of-school suspension. And I think we're, it's still being impactful. I think students are still um, not, you know, it's still deterring some behaviors. Those were two major cleanup things for us as far as procedures and systems to start addressing that before we even started talking to students and staff about that less punitive code of conduct. I think that's a great point. And, and it's easier to make sure your systems are being adapted and adjusted before then you're pushing out to work with students and probably with teachers as well. Yeah, because then it, we're we're also showing that, you know, it's not change for the for the sake of change, right? Like we're we're actually taking this serious and that we're looking at all aspects and viewing it from all types of lenses that it's not just another thing teachers have to do, right? It's it's falling on everybody and that we're leading first to show that, hey, you know what? We had some issues we had to deal with. Now that we've done that, we're reaching out to to further this process and ask for your help now. John, did you get any pushback from teachers of saying, oh, you know, you're coddling the kids or, you know, you need to put the hammer on them? So it's interesting you asked that question because that was kind of like anticipated, right? The, the soon as you hear less punitive code of conduct, right? You're starting to think, here we go. We've lost it. We've <laughs> lost all control. They're going to let... We're going to, it's going to be mayhem. They're going to do whatever they want. This new AP uh, comes in. It's all over. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's thoughts, there's, there's people saying things, but we, we knew, you know, that from the beginning, if we were very strategic, just like any other rollout, right, that this could be highly effective. And I think being honest to start to say that, we had issues in the main office within our systems that we've addressed, you know, that kind of put us out there right away to say, this is a team effort. Um, and also, you know, like I said, very fortunate in, in where our district is, you know, we spent a long time, a lot of time in staff development with ACEs being trauma informed, implicit bias, de-escalation techniques, right? So we spent a lot of time building relationships with students so the foundation was set, right? It was just needing to show that this implementation, that what we're really trying to look at is, does the punishment fit the crime? Can we look, just like your iceberg analogy, can we look beneath the surface and address the issue um, to hopefully 
get to the point where we have less repeat offenders, less of those chronically referred students, because we're looking deeper than just the action. So yeah, there was skepticism to begin. Why wouldn't there be? But we remained firm on our non-negotiables. And I think that was really important, right? So in the less punitive code of conduct, we're not taking it easy on the most egregious offenses. We're not implementing a less punitive code of conduct there, right? Those are non-negotiables. So the idea that we were just going to lose control totally, you know, I understand why you would think that in the beginning, but I, I truly believe after a year, year and a half of doing that, staying firm on the non-negotiable showed that we're here to help you get through your issues and help to hopefully address any problems that you may have that you're carrying with you. However, these things are going to have some severe consequences. We're going to remain firm on that, but, you know, we don't want that to be the norm. We don't want that to seem like it's okay or we're going soft on that. Um, so the proof in that pudding, it took time, right? You know, to, to kind of show, let that shake out that there's things that we are not bending on, but there's lots of opportunities to address the issues below the surface to hopefully if a kid makes a poor choice, now we can get to the bottom of saying, okay, listen, here's what we have to do, right? You're, you're going to have a consequence. Okay. I can be real with you. We can have a conversation about that. We can come to the understanding that you made a poor choice. We have to have a response. However, we're going to end with, but let's talk, man. How did we get here? What's going on? I've got all these resources and that's the coaching mindset, right? That's the sandwich method. Everybody knows that, right? You build them up, you give them that feedback. You say, here's where we got to do better. And you build them up on the way out again. So I, I think that's where it shook out. You know, it's, it's funny you asked that because I'll, I'll close this thought on just, you know, it started off with, oh no, we're going to lose control. We're going soft. It's going to, that's what's going to happen too. Okay. So, so you're going here, we're doing this, we're doing that. Well, who's going to drop the hammer now? I'm like, whoa, time out. What do you mean? We're not drop the hammer. What happened to we're letting you run out of control? So, you know, that that's, it's the circle of life and in, in doing all that stuff. So what are some things when, when you have those conversations with students, how is that different than maybe what we would classically think of the conversation that you're going to have when a student's done something that is a suspendable offense? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into those conversations. Or, and or I guess even what are you doing? What are you doing to prevent them from having that, that offense? So when you, you knew, you looked at your data and you understood that there were some kids that were really high risk, high need. And so you started working with them before they were getting into your office. Yeah. So here's what we did, right? So we've got last year, we put out what was called the PASS survey. Um, the PASS survey kind of, if you're not familiar with that, it's a, it's a student self-assessment, right? So it stands for pupil attitudes to self in school. So it's a, it's an assessment about asking kids about their, you know, their thoughts, their attitudes, their emotions, their motivations, you know, and how they relate to school. So in that data dive, right? So I pull out those categories of the different demographics, the grade levels, whatever it might be. And then I can access this past survey and compare those students that were most often referred and suspended and look at what their thoughts and feelings are, how they answered it without even talking to them yet. Didn't even talk to them yet. So what we came to find out, right? So if ninth and 10th graders were more referred than upperclassmen, right? It was interesting to see in the beginning, they actually had better attitudes about coming to school 
than the upperclassmen, right? Senioritis, we're done. I'm done with high school. But the ninth and 10th graders, they were motivated. They were excited to be coming to high school. So now you start to think, well, why are they acting up? So you go a little deeper, right? So now the, the survey starts asking about emotions. What stands out is the ninth and 10th graders actually expressed more anxiety, more stress, uh, more nervousness about being in a new place. So we are a high school district. We are not K to 12. Okay. So it's a new building for every ninth grader. Doesn't matter what school you're coming from. So now that's starting to make sense, right? Okay. We're acting out, right? These behaviors, mode of communication, you're stressed, you're anxious, you're nervous. It's a new building. You're trying to set yourself up in the social hierarchy of where you're at. You know, you were just big dog on campus as an eighth grader. Now you're a ninth grader, new building, know nothing about it. You don't even know where the bathroom is. So we focused in a lot on that. So there was a lot of proactive measures. Um, we have a freshman transition program designed to help mentor freshmen as they come in. A lot of conversations about social, emotional well-being within the freshman class, a lot of supportive measures there. And then as if as they found their way to me, because they will, as they found their way to me, it was great starting points. Like I, I kind of knew where I could start asking questions, right? And I wouldn't specifically say on question four, you said you were nervous about being a freshman. Why are you nervous? No. But as we got to talking, you know, it was easier for me to guide a conversation than I know nothing about this kid. So that's kind of how those conversations grew organically with the information that I had available. So, and as they would come out, like, hey, I got lots of resources here, maybe more than you've ever known. So let's start talking about what we can do. Let's come up with a plan. This can be a one and done. This We got to do what we got to do in this moment, but we, we, we'll be okay. We'll be all right. Do you have a favorite success story coming out of this? Oh, man. You, you asked me that question to think about it. I was walking through Target yesterday and a student said, yo, Mr. O, I'm doing better this year. I know you're not here, but I'm doing better. Like it's every one of those moments. I don't know if I can pick out one specifically because it's happening all the time. Um, you know, and and that's that's where I try to be authentic. Right. Because these kids, they are the best reads of character you'll ever meet in your life. They will see right through your fakeness. So just. If I could offer anything, just be authentic at all times. Um, so that's that's where I'm at. You know, I want them to know whatever it is we're dealing with. Right. That's a choice. That's a moment in time. It does not need to define you. It doesn't have to say who you are, what you're about. Ultimately, you're writing your story and I can help you do that. So it, the amount of times that a kid will come back to give me a progress update, no matter how much trouble they got in, no matter how many times they got with me, those are. Those are what keep me going. You know, uh, it, it is that that's exactly what makes this job enjoyable, um, you know, because there's there are so many times that it, it doesn't go well. Right. And the conversations are tough. Parents can be tough. The kids can be tough. But those those moments and they happen often. I, I can't think of one. But like I said, I stepped in Target with my daughters last night and I heard that from the aisle. And I'm like, who is it? And, you, and I know who it is right away. I'm doing better this year. I'm like, good. I knew you could. That's a moment. You know, it just hit me as we were talking is what you've done really is you flip the script on discipline 
because now instead of you having to be that hammer, right, you have the systems in place, but now you can work with them to be the support. You're there to help them. You're there to support them. Yeah, there are these consequences, but in a sense, you're becoming their advocate of these are the resources, these are the things we can do so you don't wind up back here. And, and it made me think about the way I advocate that we work with teachers instead of us telling teachers what they what they need to work on. And, and we're driving that process to be able to get to know our teachers and for them to be able to share their needs, not through a survey, but more directly. And then we can help them grow and we become their advocate. So I love how you flip the script from, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hammer you to, Hey, I'm here to help you. And what a, what, what a much more enjoyable job for an assistant principal that might be in charge of discipline to say, yeah, my job is to find those kids that are really struggling and, and to find ways to support and help them. Yeah. And usually it's not the first conversation that hits home, right? You know, it's, it's, it's plenty of conversations, plenty of time of working and getting to know them. And like I said, in the beginning, removing the emotion, um, and not taking it personal and just chipping away until you get to that point where they're open and honest with you. They trust you, right? How important trust is. Um, but I think what what leads itself to being able to, to even get to that point, right, is just being clear in your expectations, the communication. Like they need to know, they want to know what is expected of them. Sure, they're going to test the line. They're going to push the boundaries, but they 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 won't tell you this, but they want to know what the expectations are they do because if they don't know then it's even more chaotic in their mind so you know coming into a new building new again to me you know the very clear in the communication of hey this place has a reputation a great reputation and i'm not here to say what i'm going to do what this is going to happen how the response are going to be but what i am going to say is we are going to maintain that we're going to improve that and decisions that are made that would be counterproductive to that, you'll probably find yourself talking with me and we're going to come up with a plan to make sure, hey, that's not what this place is about. What can we do to ensure that we're making better choices the next time? And, you know, a week and a half into the school, I've had conversations already, sure enough, to say like, hey, you know what we're about, right? Is that choice going to improve or take away from this reputation. Oh, no, I got you. I got you. I, yeah, <laughs> I heard you. I heard you. I was in there, you know, so it, it's just being clear in that communication. So that way they know, right. It's, it's totally unfair to blindside a kid with a discipline consequence for an expectation they were unaware of. Yeah. So being clear in that communication certainly helps, helps set the stage for the others, the other work that we do. Mm. Sean, this has been fun. I think yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, people listening are going to come away with, I think, a lot of specific ideas. A um, couple more questions. So the last question on discipline is, how much time do you spend on a suspension? Because I can hear people thinking out there, well, wow, how do I have time to dig into all this data? Because I'm writing referrals all day long. But digging in that data helps you write less referrals. So if you if you save yourself a suspension, how much time have you just saved? Yeah. Yeah. The, the amount of time on the back end, as far as referral processing, um, you know, tracking of suspensions, especially when we're dealing with, you know, general education, special education and the different tracking of suspension rates and 
SSDS numbers and state reportings for sure. You know, taking the time to address a problem, it's going to save you on the back end, um, you know, and and growing in that mindset and having a good team around you too is, is certainly, you know, what that's about. So listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to everybody and say this all happens within the 7.30 to 2.30 of a school day, right? That's, that's not, that's not it. You know, I spent a lot of time outside of the office working on these things, right? The time is when it is, you know, I, I've had a good, good, good support system with administration and leaders and mentors that I've had and principals that, you know, will always say family first, but I still also find time, you know, outside of here. And I, I spent a lot of time before I even took this job on the Twitter chats, the EDU chats, the coffee chats, all that stuff, just trying to get as much information as possible. Um, and yeah, it's it's never ending. The, the work is never ending, but there there is a time saving component to getting your ducks in a, in a row and getting your house in order to save you the frustration on the back end. Absolutely. I mean, it, there's there's definitely a joke in the building, right? It's been about eight years, I think, since I've been here. Um, and everybody's like, oh, wow, you, your hair got a lot whiter. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. They say, oh, yeah, you're an administrator now. I'm like, nah, come on. That's not it. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for the dose of honesty. So at this point, then, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? That's a good question. So um, there's there's a lot, man. There's a, there's a lot that goes into this job. There's a lot of stress at times in making decisions. For me, I always want to make sure and you know stick to my my go tos, which are that open communication I talked about being consistent in how I handle things and just being progressive in nature. And, and when I say progressive, you know, not jumping to a higher level of discipline because emotions are high or there's some personal feelings there. Right. So that's, that's really where I'm trying to, to ensure that, you know, as I go on this journey that I'm sticking to those, those three, I never want to lose sight of the data either. So you know, if I can keep that in the forefront to guide decisions, to reflect on implementation, to understand the effectiveness of whatever we are doing, um, you know, uh, it's it's in my personality to just not accept things as they are. And, you know, I always want to try to look to improve. So that's where I'm at. You know, there, there's there's just so much involved in this role. There's so many hats that we wear. I've come to understand, like, I can't force myself to know everything. Um, I'll never know everything. Um, and, you know, that, that can be tough for certain personalities, me included, right, to to re maybe rely on somebody else. But it's also the flip side is that team mentality, too, right? So knowing that we all bring something to the table and trusting in others and putting the right people in place to achieve the goals. I think that's one of the steps into wisdom, you know, as as we grow is that realization that I really don't, there's so much I don't know because you're, you know, when you're younger, you're getting confidence, you're learning stuff and you gain confidence in, in applying that new knowledge. And it's easy to start to think, yeah, I got this, but then, yeah, you reach that phase where you start to realize, wow, there's just a lot. I don't, there's a lot I don't know. And I think that's a great place to be because it opens you up for, I think a different kind of learning right? A learning that happens at a deeper level. So you've offered us just lots of great stuff today, but if 
the assistant principals out there could take away just one thing, what is that one thing that they should take away from today's show? Be true to who you are, you know, be authentic, right? You know, if you, if you want to build trust and build relationships with kids who are coming to you with discipline issues, right? It already has a negative connotation. Just be authentic, be who you are, show them you care about them, you know, coming in. I, I certainly said it, it, I'm not your guy. If you want me in there to just further escalate a kid and add fuel to a fire, because I'm not going to do it. It's not worth my time my stress, and it's not fair to them. So be authentic in what you do, set your expectations. And the biggest thing that's that's come for me, and again, it's, it's going to be based off of your support systems and what you have available to you. But, you know, I've been fortunate enough in having the support to, to sit there and say, you know what, reflect, rely on your experiences and make a decision, you know, because the next one's coming in 30 seconds. <laughs> so the longer you sit on it and dwell on it, right, you know, prioritize appropriately, but make a decision. That's what I have. That's the most I've learned in four years. Yeah, um, no. I have a lot more to learn. I'll be honest about that. But it's so helpful. Sean, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and just get a little bit more idea about how you're doing things, how can they reach you? So the best way probably is just through my my um, work email. I mean, that's the best way. You know, I, I was on Twitter or X, that platform now, but I not so much recently, but you know, my, my work email is fine. I'd be happy to share any story. So you can reach me at S Olson, O L S O N at G E H R H S D.net. All right, great. And we will put that email in the show notes so people can get to that. John, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. One thing we didn't get to in our discussion was how to use data to identify other ways to get maximum gain with minimal pain. In addition to using your data to identify the students most in need of your support, you can use it to identify other variables related to discipline events. For example, maybe it's the boys' restroom on the North Hall at the beginning of fourth period, and by stationing someone outside the door or talking with the three teachers who are releasing students to the bathroom, we can cut referrals. Alternatively, maybe it's just one or two teachers or a specific combination of students, but that data can help us understand the patterns. So using the data is always a two-step process. Using quantitative data, we can see the trends and connections in what is happening. And then gathering qualitative data from teachers, students, and families, we can understand the why behind the what. And at that point, we can move towards supporting our students instead of punishing them. Okay, that wraps it up, and I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. Please remember to subscribe and rate this podcast. Rating the show helps others find it, and if you want to be a super fan, consider leaving a review. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.